When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Friday edition of The Yard. Hope you're wearing maroon today. Hope it's a payday for you. Maybe it is. It's also Groundhog Day. And Puxatani Phil says uh, it's going to be an early spring. That's great for me. I'm a baseball guy. I'll be out there, and you will you will too, right? So uh, let's hope for an early spring. That's great. Early springs often mean uh, tough summers, but, um, you know, we're kind of acclimated for that. But uh, after, you know, what's happened here as of late, kind of ready for some warmer weather. I do hear, you never know, with these Facebook meteorologists out there, you hear there's some talk that we may get another little cold snap, you know, later in the month that uh, might have some winter weather attached to it, some precipitation. I don't know. You never know. But they, they were almost spot on with this last one. I mean, it's like we were told for a month there's going to be this uh, winter vortex that's going to you know, change the, the conditions in the south rather significantly. And you know, we were kind of preparing for it. Lo and behold, it happened. But there's a little chatter out there. And I don't know, maybe one of our Mississippi State-educated meteorologists will, uh, will hit me up and let me know if this is all just poppycock or not. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, again, it's Friday. Hope it's a payday for you. You can get out and do some good things. we got some baseball this weekend. Uh, we'll be headed over to the scrimmages a little bit later. It's one of the reasons I'm trying to get on up early. Well, that's not, I'm not, that's not true. I'm lying. I'm lying. My dogs woke me up really early, and I couldn't go back to sleep. But I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and be productive and get this thing done, get the show up and out, and uh, get it in your ears before lunch today. And then uh, that'll give me some time to write a couple things. I've got some interviews to do today for the, uh, the Duty Noble book. Just to give you a brief update on that, I have had uh, a very productive week. I've written a little bit, but um, I just kind of felt like I needed some more detail about kind of growing up in Hines County, Mississippi from some people within the family. Got a couple more interviews to do today, and then I'll feel like I'm kind of good with that aspect of it. Because that's the thing. It's like when you think about... Like Duty Noble, you can, you can kind of, you know, you can go back and find those game recaps and you can find, uh, you know, all the things that happened once he got to Mississippi State, you can kind of replicate that. You know, because a lot of people, of course, that are alive today that uh, were alive back then, but their memories maybe not, aren't as uh, sharp as they once were. That's not a criticism. That's just kind of how it is. And so I'm kind of having to rely on family stories and uh, kind of things handed down to kind of, I don't know, kind of shape up and frame up, you know, growing up in Hines County and learned. That's where we are. It's not going to be a big part of the book, but you want you, you got to get the foundation laid, right? And so 
I've had so much fun this week, and uh, it's, I don't know, I'm going to be careful how I say this. But it's one of those things, I guess, because the, there's not a lot of nobles, right? Like, Duty Noble didn't have any children. Many of his siblings didn't have any children. So there's, that segment of the family is not huge. There are some people out there, obviously, when I've been able to interview most of them. But, um, you know, I went down to learn it here a few weeks back, and, and I had been before to Gibbs Grocery, uh, and uh, they have the best buttermilk pie in the world there. It's incredible. But, um, but I just kind of went out there and kind of, you know, walked around. It's, it's only like, uh, it was six blocks, you know, and it's, it's a tiny little hamlet. And I went out to the uh, Lebanon church. And, but anyway, just like anything else in South Mississippi or Central Mississippi, small town Mississippi, you know, people are nosy. And so the good thing is I'm, I'm nosy too. And so I went and met with some people and talked with some people. He goes, hey, you got to speak to this person and that person. This person may have some stories. And what's so interesting is when, even when I went and sat down with uh, Mitzi Steele and Francis Ami, they were like, oh, I don't know what all we have. And then the next thing you know, I got an, an hour's worth of information on tape. And then I've got uh, all their family history, you know, that was shared with me uh, in writing. And so you start beginning to kind of, figure this thing out a little bit but uh, everybody's like hey i don't really have anything i don't really have any stories and you get all this great anecdotal stuff so many people are like well you know i don't really know what i can help you with and then you just start talking and next thing you know there's like there's these little memories of little things that uh, the duty noble did and things that he kept with them and things that were important to him and uh, had a chance to um interview a cousin that uh, his farm was right next door he grew up on the farm next door to duty noble's dad's farm uh, there on bush bottom right outside of learning yeah and so you start talking to these people and all of a sudden start to like oh you need to talk so and so and then one conversation leads to another it leads to somebody else and so uh yeah i feel like we're in a good place i really, I really do and i look forward to getting that out for you i, I told my agent i'd have him a uh, chapter one of the duty noble book uh, by the end of the weekend, he was surprised. But uh, I, I've got to get going. You know, we've got to get a good writing schedule together because I want to have this thing finished up by the end of the semester, at least uh, roughed out, right? And then we'll have, uh, you know, a couple months to uh, to go through editing and then all the other things that go along with it. You know, there's so much that happens, you know, behind the scenes that you guys don't know about. And so it takes a little while. And I want to make sure this thing is out before football season so we have a chance uh, to kind of congregate and uh, let you guys get a copy of this book. But everybody that I've spoke to has been extremely excited about this book. And, uh, it, again, it's my honor to write it. I just want to make sure that we're doing we're doing Duty Noble and his family justice, you know, when we write this book. And we're, do, we're representing him in the way that he should be. And so that requires a lot of work. And I'm here for it. As the, uh, as the young people say, I didn't choose the grind, the grind chose me. Hey, we had uh, Bulldog Burger Company last night for, for supper. We, uh, we had to hustle, though. We were going to go out to eat. And I'm like, hey, well, the, the girls' game's coming on in just a little bit. And so Dana decided, well, I'll, let me just go get it because I don't want to miss the girls' game. And she came home, and I think we were three minutes into the game, and it was 2 nothing. But uh, we had a great meal. I had the freshman 15. You know, the Bulldog was my, my gateway burger. But the freshman 15 was my second. And uh, had that, enjoyed that, had the onion rings. It's true. It's true. And uh, rather than do the spring rolls last night, so if you see me today and I don't look like my normal beautiful self, 
It's because last night we had the uh, the sloppy fries, and, but they were great, absolutely fabulous. Uh, they got the uh, the sloppy Joe meat mix and some cheese and some jalapenos and a few other things, and uh, it's incredible. It is. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I, I do. I, I could eat it two or three times a week easily. I mean, there's just so much variety on the menu. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't ever get burnt out. It's because of the fact that I, hey, I've had this the last time. Oh, but I need to get those. Uh, I need to get those sloppy Joe sliders, or I need to get the BLT salad. I need to get the the sweet heat chicken sandwich. Right? I mean, there's just so much diversity and variety on that menu. You're never gonna get burned out because I got so many great things to choose from. And I also have three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out. Next time you're in town, if you're just passing through on your way to Starkville, maybe you come to a ball game, leave a little bit early. Afford yourself some time to sit down and put your feet under their table. They know how to feed you, for sure. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, let's get into this basketball game. And I'll be honest with you, last night there was a time I'm thinking, I don't even want to talk about this basketball game. <laughs> I just don't even want to talk about it. it we sleptwalked so much through that game. And, you know, we, I talked about it on the show on Wednesday. We have taken some really good team selections in Kentucky in a women's basketball game and come home with a loss. And it's so weird. I don't know what happens up there. I don't know if it's an altitude thing. I don't know if it's a travel thing. I don't. I don't know what it is. But every time we go up there, it just it just has this weird vibe, and it was weird last night. It's it's really hard to kind of put your finger on that, but it was weird. But you know, guys, for Kentucky, give them some credit. You know, guys, it it has been uh, it has been their series for the most part. They hold a thirty-one and twenty-four record against Mississippi State. Our record in Lexington is 10 and 14. We're only 500 here against them, 11 and 11. It's pretty nuts. You said, but Steve, that math doesn't add up. But we used to play before we were uh, even Southeastern Conference opponents. But uh, but all that said, it has been a weird series. It has kind of gone the way of Kentucky. You know, and, and you go back and you look at this, guys. We, we had a losing streak. We'll go, go back here. So we beat Kentucky in Lexington. During the 08-09 season. And then they beat us 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 times in a row. That's the difference in the, in the series right there. That's the difference. And even when Vic was here, it was tough going up there. Now, they had Michaela Abs back then. You know, so things were a little, you know, they were a good team. But it's been rough, man. We have taken some really good teams up there and come home with a loss. And uh, it's, I'm looking through the numbers here. It's like how many times we've gone to overtime with them. It's absolutely nuts. Now, we kind of got it turned around, and uh, Bulldogs won four in a row against them, uh, you know, dating back to the 17-18 season. We got, them, we got them twice that year in a home and home, and then we played them in the tournament. So three wins that year in the 17-18 season, and then we get them in Starkville the next year and really wasn't close. But then in 19 – 1920, we go back up there to Lexington and we get beat. We play them in the tournament. We beat them then well. And the next thing you know, it's a three-game losing streak. I mean, it's just it's weird. I mean, and looking back at these last few ball games, let's look at the last five. 
In the 2021 season, we lose at home in overtime, 92-86. Flash forward to 21-22, we played them in Lexington. They beat us 81-74. We get them in the tournament that year, the SEC tournament, and they destroyed us, 83-67. And then last year, it's a 77-76 win in Starkville. And then this year, we go up there and we win it in overtime, 77-74. Let's break this thing down. But again, it's just so incredibly weird that Kentucky, even when they've just been middle of the road and we've been elite, they have given us trouble. Home and away. It's nuts. It really is. But uh, I want to give our team and our coaching staff a ton of credit. It would have been very easy last night to just say, you know what, guys, it's just not our night, ladies. It's just not. I mean, you come out and you have this incredibly – Poor first quarter on both sides. It was terrible. I mean, it absolutely, we couldn't throw it in the bucket. I mean, it's like outside of Jessica Carter, it's like we couldn't get anything going. And I thought Jessica played exceptionally well last night. I mean, there's a couple things here and there. I mean, she's human. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that we, we go up there and you just knew from that first quarter on, this is going to be one of those weird nights with Kentucky. It's just, it's just kind of how it is. And you look up and say, okay, we're 10-9. And I remember turning to Dana and I said, you know, I said, hey, we started to get a little separation in the second quarter. I said, we're going to end up winning this game by 20. Well, it's, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. N- no, no. We were very fortunate to win the game. And uh, there were so many big things that happened really in that second half uh, that I thought really kind of changed the game. Because, you know, up until that last little flurry, we were 0 for the, fee- 0 for the field from three-point line. I guess we were 0 from 8 at one point. It's just kind of one of those weird dynamics for sure. And uh, they listed 3,743 fans attended that game. There is no way there were 3,700 people in that arena. Absolutely not. And and that, that includes the players and staffers and everybody else. That was one of the emptiest arenas that I have seen in a Southeastern Conference game. Absolutely not. But um, – Again, we go back here, first quarter. You know, Jessica Carter scores all 10 of our points. And uh, some of those you know, were on set plays, but a lot of them just her fighting for a rebound. I really thought rebounding last night was not, was not good for State. It really was not good for State. And I think all those offensive boards just kind of allowed Kentucky to stay in the game. It's true. And I don't, I don't know why. Maybe we had a hangover after the LSU thing. Maybe we thought we were too good to play Kentucky. I don't know. But they made mention on the broadcast that Sam Purcell was so disenchanted after shoot-around that he walked back to the hotel. Now, granted, it's only a few blocks. But he just decided, you know what, I'm going to walk back. And, and as a coach, as a former coach myself, I can tell you, sometimes you got to do things to get people's attention. And I don't know that we did. And that's not a criticism of Sam by any stretch of the imagination. But some days it's like that. Sometimes you have you look at your team and it's like they're not even the same people. It's like what are we even speaking the same language? And you could tell from that moment when they said that, I said, you know, you just kind of get that vibe that we're not ready to play. And of course, it's a coach's job to get them ready to play. But there's got to be buy-in from the players. The good thing is, is we didn't have to lose a ball game and learn a lesson, right? That's the big thing. That I mean, that if you lose that game to Kentucky, who has won nine games. It erases all the good of the LSU win. I mean, yeah, it was a fun night, but as far as your resume goes, as far as your standing in the SEC goes, 
You would negate everything you gained from the LSU game had you dropped this game to Kentucky. And again, I think it's a good thing we learned the lesson without losing the game. And uh, this is where your seniors have to step up, and we have a bunch of those. And last night, we didn't play like it. I mean, we were so sloppy. I mean, we just couldn't even do the basic tenets of basketball sometimes. I mean, let's just bring the ball down and get into a half-court set, and we just throw the ball away. We have people standing around on offense. But nevertheless, we get into the second period. We begin to kind of get a little traction here. You know, you, you look up, and all of a sudden, and, uh, you know, State's up four. Miracle Shepard knocks down a jumper. You're like, okay, we're good. We're hanging in here. We'll, we'll begin to kind of get some separation. They'll begin to fade. Jessica Carter makes a jumper right around the five-minute mark, takes it out to six. Next thing you know, it's an eight-point lead for State. And now, if you're like me, I was thinking, all right, here we go. Here we go. We have, sat, <clears throat> we have survived this little uh, – you know, first quarter malaise. Now we're rolling. Now we're getting going here. Up eight, and then uh, you know, they, they trade some baskets, but still, you know, right around the two-minute mark, we're right there. And then, lo and behold, Cassidy Rowe knocks down a three to make it a five-point game, but then State goes right back up for seven. I'm thinking, okay, we're good. We get into the, uh, get into the, the halftime intermission, up seven, 29-22, and I thought – incorrectly, but I thought, I said, we will come out full of piss and vinegar in the first part of this third quarter, and we will put them away. We will get some separation, and everybody will be able to relax and enjoy the rest of the ballgame. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. We do go back in and run a set piece, and we get it. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe, by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members and you can see who's kind of coming and going Got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months, and you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y-Official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. So Jessica Carter downloaded, pushes it out to nine. And I'm thinking, okay, we're good, we're good, we're good. Trade some baskets. And the next thing you know, Maddie Shearer, and uh, listen, she's a gamer. And uh, she's just on a bad team. But, man, what a great player she is. Uh, knocks down a big three, and she was so huge for them in the second half. Again, we trade a few baskets here and there. We knock down some free throws. And uh, right around the six-minute mark, State is up six. But Kentucky wouldn't go away. They absolutely wouldn't go away. And, and some of it had to do with turnovers by us. And so whatever we said at halftime and essentially kind of fell on deaf ears because we were, went back in that third period and played just like we did for the most part in the first half. Saved that little run at the end of the, half, the first half. But uh, it's Matty Shear again making the three-point basket right at the four-minute mark to give Kentucky the lead for the first time. It's crazy. It's just, it's just, again, you just kind of look at it and you say, you know what? We're in trouble. We are in trouble. It is just not our night. That's how it felt. I'm sure many of you felt the same way. I, I had... I was hanging on to hope, but, uh, you know, privately I'm sitting there telling Dana, you know, I just don't think this is going to work out for us. We're in trouble. And she always laughs at me. She's a little more optimistic than me. It's so funny, too. So many people have this, uh, this Pollyannish uh, opinion of me that I'm just some, you know, sunshine pumper. If, if you ever watched a game with me, <laughs> you, you wouldn't feel that way. I, I get down like the rest of you guys, too. But uh, State Battle's back there. Jessica Carter with the uh, you know with the layup in the paint there again. State really kind of dominating the paint, not so much on the perimeter, but uh, we're able to kind of do what we wanted to with Jessica. Even though that you know they had some size, they did, but Jessica Carter just too athletic. But it's nip and tuck the rest of this quarter, and uh, we get out of there with a two point lead, a big block by Jessica Carter late. Uh, you know, you kind of felt like, okay, let's just find a way to win this game and get back on the plane and get home. That's how it felt. Immediately we go out and turn it over. And then I'll be honest with you, when uh, we got up four here, what about eight minutes to go? And I thought, okay, this has got to be it. But it wasn't. I don't know what happened to us defensively. It just seemed like there were so many open looks. And it wasn't like... We had, to, we had to get out and defend the perimeter, but that, they were able to get wide-open shots in and around the lane with impunity. And I know we had a little bit of foul trouble, but we got to learn to defend without fouling. We got to contest some of these shots. There were just way too many open looks for Kentucky. Now, 
when uh, Saniya Tyler hit that three-point basket to put them up six, 61-55 with 2.41 to go, I don't know how you felt, but I said, this is over. And then Lauren Park Lane gets loose and then misses a bunny. A, I mean, just a layup, just absolutely cannot miss. And um, next thing you know, it's like we're, we're having to kind of navigate through this thing and uh, hopefully somebody will step up and do something big. We needed a hero. Wasn't going to beat Ja'Kayla Jordan, though. Ja'Kayla did knock down a couple free throws, but then she fouled out of the game. And there were a couple of those fouls on her that were really, really tic-tac. And, like, I'm not going to blame officiating, but there were so many fouls on the floor during this ball game that there was minimal contact. I mean, it's like outside the lane, somebody's driving down, people moving their feet, they're impeding their pass. That doesn't mean it's a block, right? Especially if they don't initiate contact. And then you look what's happening down low, and it's just like a mob scene. It's like they were so inconsistent with that. I'm not going to sit here and say they favored Kentucky because we got the benefit of some calls too. But it's so difficult for a player to adjust when you call the game differently every single period. It's okay, we're going to let you ladies get out here and just kind of beat each other up for a quarter. Okay, well, now we're going to rein it back in. And then all of a sudden you start calling things you wouldn't dream of called in the first period. But down the stretch, I thought the officiating in this game was absolutely terrible. And it's so weird to say that considering that we won the game. I think I think the referees kind of got on a roll with Kentucky in that third period. Maybe that's maybe I'm wrong. Because I am not just a unbiased observer of these of these proceedings. But I did think that the the calls were just especially on on Jordan. I, there were a couple of them she was a little bit silly on, okay? But there were a couple calls against her that I just I, – I can't agree with. Even even when they showed the replay, which was a rarity, when they showed the replay, it was like, guys, this is – no, no, it's in basketball. You know, no, no sense in any of that stuff. But uh, yeah, like you, I thought it was done. And um, Ja'Kayla makes those uh, two free throws to cut it to four, and then we have to foul. And uh, – O.J. Petty knocks down the free throws, and it's a six-point game with under a minute to play. It, guys, it's over, right? It's over. That's how you felt. Admit it. Admit it. Some people in my fam chat were like, oh, never had a doubt. Yeah, yeah. Now you had a doubt. Down six with 54 seconds to play, and we had not made a three-point basket the entire ball game. What do you know? Darian Rodgers knocks one down from the corner. And now all of a sudden you're like, okay, okay, we, we, can we just get a stop? Let's get a stop. Let's get a stop. Well, we do. We do, we do get a stop. And then <laughs> after it's turned over and uh, we get the steal there, we end up uh, turning the ball over ourselves. And then we're forced to foul. And uh, you put Patty at the line. She makes one and then misses one. But it's a four-point game, so it's still a two-possession game. With 32 seconds to play. It's just improbable. I mean, honestly, the way that we had shot the basketball, you're thinking 30 seconds to play, and we got it, we're down two possessions. This game is over, but no. We needed a hero to step up, and we and we got that. DeBrisha Poe stands up and knocks down a three from the corner. Almost the same spot as Darion Rogers. Now it's a one-point game with 17 seconds to play. They end up calling timeout to advance the ball. And, uh, of course, they're thinking, we're going to get the ball in the hands of Maddie Shear. 
our best ball handler, and if they foul her, she's one of our best free throw shooters, we can put this game away. And lo and behold, she walked. Now, again, about these calls, that's what's so inconsistent. I mean, like, you go down and you, and you have, like, a finger check, you know, not even a hand check. Like, you just kind of poke at somebody. That's a foul. I thought she walked. And, again, of course, I'm, I'm not an unbiased observer. But I, I, would, I could definitely have seen them call a foul there. And give Sam Purcell and the staff some credit there. It's like it's like we knew what was coming. We knew that Maddie would get the ball. We just didn't know where. And I thought she made a very tactical mistake by going so far up there to the half-court line. There was really no room for her to do anything. And it was difficult for people to get to her. I mean, she got trapped out there in the middle of the floor. And so she can't throw it into the backcourt, right? So nobody can proceed back there. And so... I know the Kentucky announcers, again, they're not unbiased observers, said I have seen that be called a foul before. We all have. And I was shocked when they didn't call a foul. Because, you know, in that situation, as an official, you're anticipating having to make that call because they're going to have to foul. And then we don't. And then next thing you know, DeBrisha Poe hits another three-point basket to put State up two with nine seconds. Such an improbable situation here. Now we just got to make a stop. And, and I, I know we don't want to foul here. We didn't play defense here. This, this game should not have gone to overtime. It shouldn't. We just kind of let them, let Russell get to the, the rim there. This can't happen. Three seconds to go. I mean, it was like they get it out this year, and we kind of force her back you know, to kind of get them out of their set, make them take a little time, and that's what happens in those final late second segments is you want to make them eat up as much clock as you can. And then we did that initially, and the next thing you know, they make one pass, and we can't front somebody. Terrible. Absolutely terrible situation there, but at least we're still playing, right? So you go to overtime, and uh, I mean, the lovely bride turned to me. is like, well, maybe now we'll take them seriously. We did. We immediately come right out and, uh, and get a layup to go up. And I thought that was so big for State. Uh, and then, you know, free throw here. They didn't get it tied up. They, they, it's one for two. And then what do you know? It's Depression Poe hitting another three-point basket. This one just as sweet as the rest. Put State up four with 3.30 to go. And you're thinking to yourself, we're going to do this. We're gonna, th- this thing is over. We have found our range. We have found our stroke. We have found our, our champion and Depression Poe from Meridian, Mississippi. We do end up fouling Maddie Shear, and again, we got to learn to defend without foul. I know everybody's tired here, but um, she makes both. She's basically automatic. And then it gets a little ragged here. Everybody's tired. And then when we gave it to uh, Jessica Carter in the paint, and she goes up with it, it's like, and the N1 puts us up five. I begin to think for the first time in a while, okay, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. They get loose on a steal, and it's, you know, Fatigue is really set in here, and it's an up-and-in deal. So now we're up just three. But Erin Barnum really, really, I think, put this thing away, and she's been very, very good for Mississippi State. Layup from her makes it a five-point game. We're right at a minute to play, and you just kind of felt like, you know, this thing is over. But, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't over. It wasn't. Despite the fact that we go one for two on a free throw from Poe to push us up six, Maddie Shear comes down – I mean – 
Guys, it was like a WNBA type play. I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal the way that she was able to catch this ball and shoot in rhythm. And it went down, and the crowd went crazy, the few that were there. And I began to think to myself, if, if she touches the basketball again, we're going to double overtime. It just kind of felt like she was locked in. But it didn't work out that way. It didn't work out that way. And, um, you know, there's a couple plays here and there. You know, we kind of trade possessions. And uh, Maddie did get one more shot at it, and she missed. And um, State eventually gets the rebound and runs the clock out. But um, it was a, a great result. It was not a good basketball game. Now, I, again, I want to say this again for the uh, – I, listen, I get the fact that when you do these uh, SEC Network Plus games, you're depending on the staff that's there. The delivery, like the vocal delivery, was great. The commentary in that game was absolutely terrible. It's just like even that last little segment at the end in overtime, for those of you that watched it, you, you know what I'm talking about. So, guys, we foul, right? We got five-tenths of a second to go. I think it's right. And there's nothing left for them to do, Right? I mean, there's just, there's just nothing left for them to do. And uh, they foul, excuse me. And so Lauren, Lauren goes to the line. The game is over, okay? It is a – there is nothing that Kentucky could do here. Nothing. And I, he's like, well, I would miss it. That's what I would do. Well, if she makes one, it's a two-possession game, right? And there's five-tenths of a second left. And the commentator says, well, I would miss it. That's what I would – I'd miss it on purpose here. Well, why would you ever do that when you could make it and make it a two-possession game? Not to mention, with a half second, what are you going to do, get the rebound? Like, you're just going to, like, volleyball? Like, it's like you're going to just take it off the rim and sling it the length of the court? We all make mistakes. I just didn't think it was – I thought it was poor. And I, I want to use that opportunity to compliment Jason Crowder and uh, listen, the guy does a great job for us. Doesn't always get enough credit. Uh, but looking back at the numbers here, again, Jessica Carr was outstanding. 25 points, 13 rebounds, and a perfect 7 of 7 from the line. 9 of 15 from the field. Played 43 minutes. And only three personal fouls. And considering how ragged that game got at times, that in and of itself is significant. Uh, Depression Poe got hot late. 16 points for her. Three steals. Uh, three of eight from the three-point line, and all, all those were, were clutch. All, every one of them. Every one of them was clutch. Aaron Barnum, uh, 30 minutes of action, 14 points. You had three Bulldogs in, in double digits for you. But uh, Jaquela Jordan, just six points. Not a great night for her. Uh, fouled out of the game, had five turnovers to just three assists, only had a couple steals, just four rebounds. She just really, in many respects, is kind of a non-factor. And how great is it that we can win a Southeastern Conference game when our guards don't play exceptionally well? The guard play for Kentucky was outstanding. The guard play for Mississippi State was not. Now, against LSU, it was completely the opposite. Our guards completely outplayed LSU. But last night, Kentucky got the better of our ladies. Jaquela Jordan, again, with six points. Lauren Park Lane with two. Two. Miracle Shepard, again, defending her tail off out there, but just five points from her. And uh, three of those come at the free throw line. But outside of that, that's it. The bottom line is this. It's Jessica Carter. And our post game won the game with some late three-point baskets from um, a couple of our forwards. But uh, very, very fortunate to get out of there with a win. Leading scorer for Kentucky, of course, Matty Shearer. 
She played 43 minutes, had 19 points. Asia Petty, 10 rebounds, 11 points. I, I, after watching her play, she doesn't have the dexterity that I expected to play, expected to see. Big, long, athletic. Uh, the shooting touch not quite there. Uh, Brooklyn Miles with six points, but uh, off the bench is where they really kind of got us. Uh, Anaya Russell with 15 and Sanaya Tyler with 14. But, uh, again, probably an entertaining game for so many, but um, I was just happy for us to get a dub. Uh, Kentucky 5 of 23 from beyond the arc and 13 of 20. State shot the free throws really well, but um, what's interesting is, like, Rebounding-wise, there was a time there we were getting killed on the glass. State ultimately out-rebounds Kentucky 43-39. But we're 17 of 21 from the free throw line. And, of course, that includes those two misses uh, from Lauren late. And so there was a stretch there. I think we'd made 16 in a row. So great job by the ladies. I don't know who's teaching them free throws, but maybe perhaps we can um, have them give a clinic over on the men's side too. But uh, it's good to see the ladies win. Now, if you're keeping up, it's going to be a busy stretch uh, for your ladies. And again, I think I think last night can be a good experience for us. And again, we didn't have to lose the game to learn the lesson. But you can't take anybody for granted in this conference. Bulldogs now 18 and five overall, and five and three in the Southeastern Conference. Winners of three in a row. And I know many of you are ready to get out here and love on them again and uh, show them how much that you support them, and we certainly encourage that. Ladies are going to be in College Station, Texas, on Sunday. And we do have a big alumni group down there. So, guys, if you're looking for something to do on Sunday, we encourage you to go out and uh, check out that A&M game. That'll be Sunday. We really won't have time to preview it. But the ladies will be back in Starkville on Thursday against Georgia. And you start looking through this thing, guys. we, We don't have much left. The season ends, regular season ends on March the 3rd. And then we get ready for the SEC tournament. But, um, guys, it's February 2nd. You got four weeks left of regular season basketball on the women's side. So get out and come be a part of this and come support uh, Lady Bulldogs. And, again, if you're at or around College Station, Texas, on Sunday, we encourage you to get out and go uh, go cheer for uh, the Lady Bulldogs. Certainly we need to go down there and get a dub down there uh, – if we can, and we certainly can. All right, time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Matter of fact, I just got a text from Blair. This before the show, right? We, we talk. We do. Blair and I are in conversation regularly. And if you're a person that has needs when it comes to your mortgage, you need to be in conversation with Blair Chandler, too. Let me give you his phone number. 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. We've had several Barnyard listeners that uh, have closed loans with Blair. I remember one particular instance where there was uh, I won't get too specific because I don't want to break anybody's anonymity. I didn't get this from Blair. I got this from a family member of the person involved. Is They were trying to buy a second property here, trying to buy a place here in Starkville, and uh, had some problems with another lender, and they get a hold of Blair because of this show. They were aware of Blair. And, guys, we got it done in like a week. Got it done. And that's what happens when you deal with mortgage professionals. There are a lot of people out there that are in the mortgage business, but that maybe they haven't earned their stripes yet. Blair has. 23 years of experience in the industry. Back-to-back-to-back years. 
top 1% close ratio in the country. Recently made the move to Priority One Mortgage, which is what winners do. But be sure and hit him up. Visit the website today for more information. But um, whether you're looking to buy a home, refinance a home, I don't know your needs. But Blair knows how to get you to the closing table. That's thus closewithblair.com. All right, so I had another plan today, and then uh, Roy watched the We Are the World documentary on Netflix. I plan to watch it tonight. And uh, it's, uh, they call it the greatest night in pop, and it's true. And it's pretty amazing how the whole thing came together. And there's no spoilers. I mean, it's all been well documented. But uh, you know, Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie wrote the song under the direction of Quincy Jones and had some of the biggest pop stars. And uh, I read earlier that over 50 other uh, singers had to be turned away, people that wanted to participate in this project. They kind of had an idea of who they wanted to bring in. Uh, 47 singers in all. And so we thought, hey, how do we honor this? Uh, so we're going to do a top 10 list of uh, some of the soloists. Again, we could pick and choose so many different people um, to go with. But uh, it's so interesting, too. We had a lot of um, charitable records back then. You know, we had, uh, and I, I had them both on 45. I had uh, Do They Know It's Christmas Time. That started with Bob Geldof, and, of course, that led to um, so many other things, you know, within Live Aid. You know, which is great, you know, where Queen absolutely killed it. And then in addition to that, we had uh, We Are the World. And then after that, we had uh, We're Stars from Hearing Aid, which was all metal, like Ronnie James Dio and people like that. It was great. And so it was good to see these things happen. But guys, this We Are the World thing, guess millions and millions of dollars in relief aid was raised for the uh, famine in Ethiopia at the time. And so many of these people just kind of generously gave of their time and talents to help raise money and uh, it is the fastest selling single in u.s history if memory serves me correct a little research on this but um again just real quickly here there were so many different people involved in all this 47 singers but uh let, let me give you the list of the soloist and then we'll get, we're going to take 10 of those and break them down and do a top 10 list for you so in order of appearance on the song Lionel Richie, Stevie Wonder, Paul Simon, Kenny Rogers, James Ingram, Tina Turner, Billy Joel, Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, Dionne Warwick, Willie Nelson, Al Jarreau, Bruce Springsteen, Springsteen, Kenny Loggins, Steve Perry of Journey, Daryl Hall, Huey Lewis, Cindy Lauper, Kim Carnes, Bob Dylan, Ray Charles. There were 47 of those total, and then those are your soloists, but... Um, I'm eager to go back and watch it because I've seen some clips over the years about how, you know, Cindy Lauper you know, got a little bit rambunctious at times and uh, bumped a mic or something like that. But um, it was a special moment in American music. And uh, they recorded this after the American Music Awards because everybody was in town. And uh, Prince was initially invited to be a part of it, and he opted out. And there's a lot of discussion about reasons behind it that people say, well, he didn't perform with other artists, and that that's not true he's done collaborations with the people many times but uh, apparently he there was some issue with he and bob geldof bob geldof apparently had called prince a creep or something like that you know but it didn't work out however prince uh, did donate and a song for the we are the world album so he was a part of that it just wasn't a part of the recording but uh it's interesting too there's a big thing about uh they told everybody you know check your egos at the door and uh, you could definitely tell 
in, in the footage that I've watched that uh, it was very much a collaborative effort. But there was some disputes. And I understand Waylon Jennings was in the middle of all that, so I'm eager to see that. So here is our We Are the World top ten. And again, Roy's going to put the We Are the World single on there, Tori, so you can enjoy that, uh, what, six and a half minutes of, uh, of charitable goodness. It made me feel good. I remember when I bought the record, I felt like, hey, I'm doing something good for the world, right? I'm buying this, this single, and uh, it really kind of changed the direction, I think, of a lot of people's uh, feelings about what's happening in Africa. Uh, but it did. It made me feel like I was part of something, even as a kid. It's like you go by that, and you're like, you know what? This is. I'm doing something good for the world. And that's the whole point. Of it. We are the world. We are the children. Not only did people buy the record or buy the single, they, people gave donations. They bought T-shirts and things like that. It was, it was quite the deal. All right, so here we go. These aren't necessarily in order of, uh, of, of favorite, but I, had, I could only pick 10. And so I tried to pick 10 that I thought were uh, kind of the stars of the performance, but also two stars at the time and not just people passing through. Right, number 10 is Stevie Wonder. And again, that's not to say he's the 10th best artist. I just had, we had to put a number on him. Uh, it's Stevie Wonder, and Stevie was great and uh, has a really big singing part at the end. And a funny thing, too, you know, uh, Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles are, are both blind. Right, we're both blind. And um, Stevie always, the comedian, made the comment, and he says, uh, hey, I'm so glad we got, I got to see Ray Charles. We just bumped into each other, you know. Um, What's life without a little whimsy, right? But uh, we're going to go with higher ground from Stevie Wonder. We go with superstitious all the time, but higher ground, also covered by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. But uh, the original was better. Stevie Wonder, a musical genius. Number nine, Daryl Hall. Now, Hall and Oates were both there. This is around the time, too, though, that Daryl Hall was getting ready to uh, do some solo stuff. And uh, I thought, you know what? We talked about Hall and Oates so many times on the show. Let's uh, give a little... Shine a light, I guess, on uh, Daryl Hall's solo work. And we're going to go with Dream Time from Daryl Hall. Great track, too. And, and it sounds just like Hall and Oates without Oates. Number eight, Huey Lewis. And, guys, the Huey Lewis and the News were so huge. That album of sports, I think everybody had it on cassette. I think everybody did. But they were huge. And Huey Lewis is like, I mean, you hear Huey Lewis sing, and like he doesn't have a tremendous amount of range. But... There is just an earnestness in his voice. I think it really resonates with people. I decided to go uh, a different direction here. I decided to go with The Heart of Rock and Roll from Huey Lewis and the News. That's my number eight track today. Huey Lewis is The Heart of Rock and Roll. Number seven, Willie Nelson. You talk about, and Bob Dylan was in there too. And, and again, I think it just kind of showed how special a moment this was. Because you had so many different artists from different walks of life and different genres who would never have worked together under normal circumstances kind of came together pretty impressive but uh willie nelson we decided to go with on the road again could have gone with poncho and lefty but we went with on the road again number six tina turner and uh this was really in many respects kind of the peak for her solo career this era right uh she tina turner of course, had some success with Ike. And uh, when her comeback, though, in many respects, was even greater than the come up. It was absolutely amazing. Tina Turner kind of went from obscurity to the middle of pop culture. 
It was amazing. I guess he was in Mad Max. It's nuts. But we're going to go with Better Be Good to Me. There's so many options with her. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible singer. I, I venture to say, and, and it's not a big, some big hot take, I, I think like if you started putting a list together of people that could sing with incredible range, but also with an earnestness or an authenticity that resonated with people, Tina Turner, probably one of the top three singers of all time, honestly. Number five, a guy that I absolutely loved. I loved to work with uh, Loggins and Messina, but Kenny Loggins, of course, kind of found his groove as a solo artist. Big part of the soundtrack of our lives, man. Kenny Loggins. I don't know that Kenny gets enough credit. Kenny had some huge hits, and I decided to change things up with Kenny. We could go a different direction here. We've done a Kenny Loggins top ten list. Probably could have done top 20. But we're going to go with actually a collaboration with he and Steve Perry with Don't Fight It. And I love the guitar on this. This is one of those, I mean, just a good radio rock song. And it was everywhere when I was a kid. Absolutely everywhere. Made you proud to be a rock and roll guy. Number four. We talk about the Queens. Diana Ross and the Supremes. Just next level. And Diana Ross, of course, uh, extremely successful solo career. I, I like going with the up-tempo stuff, to be honest with you. And she and Michael Jackson, of course, were uh, you know, mutual collaborators for so much stuff. But a song that you guys, many of you that you know, kind of grew up listening to, uh, you know, Puff Daddy before he was P. Diddy. Everybody remembers... Uh, the collaboration with Biggie Smalls, and uh, I'm more of a West Coast guy, to be honest with you. But uh, they sampled Diana Ross's amazing track, I'm Coming Out, and that's going to be your number four song, I'm Coming Out from Diana Ross. So many great ones to choose from. You can't, you can't go wrong. Number three, Steve Perry. I decided to do a solo sing. We talk about O'Sherry a lot on the show. Like It seems like every time Steve Perry comes up, I always just revert to O'Sherry. It was another huge hit on that Street Talk album, and it was Foolish Heart. And uh, if you remember, Randy Jackson on American Idol was the bass player on that album. Maybe you didn't know that. Yeah, Steve Perry's Foolish Heart, number three. Number two, Lionel Richie's All Night Long. And uh, Lionel Richie, of course, we got to know him from the Commodores. Then he had an incredible solo career. I remember that night of the American Music Awards, he opened up as the host and said the night was going to be outrageous, and I think he won every award he was nominated for. It was absolutely incredible. Lionel Richie, one of the best. Do, you, do we dare call it blues? I mean, you go back and his work with the Commodores, it's just absolutely phenomenal. And then he kind of became a pop star, but he still kind of maintained to have some of that blues in his vocal quality. Amazing. But... Uh, we're going to go with a pop song. We're going all night long with Lionel Richie, number two. And number one, the guy that primarily wrote the song, composed the song, and really because he was involved, I think, made it an even bigger project because he was the king of pop at the time. It's Michael Jackson. We're going to go back. We're not going to do Thriller. We're going to go back to the beginning of his solo career. And we're going to go with Rock With You from Michael Jackson as number one. And again, these are not necessarily in order of my preference, I just wanted to kind of draw attention to this documentary on Netflix because it was such a special time in music 
And uh, it was a chance when, you know, when America did some amazing things uh, to help some of our neighbors around the world. And no matter your feelings about these artists, the fact that they would come together and do something so amazing is worth talking about. And uh, they had a film that was out in 85, and, um, you know, they sold the VHS and stuff. But now you can watch this uh, and I can't wait to watch it. I started to watch it the other day, but I thought, you know, I got so much going on. I'm going to wait until I get to the end of the week when I just kind of sit down and just kind of chill and watch it. I'm actually watching uh, Loudermilk right now, too. Are you familiar with that that show on Netflix? Watching that, too. Just finished up season one. Uh, kind of like that show, too. But I'm looking forward tonight to watching this We Are the World thing. And if, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with it, I would encourage you to watch it. Some of the biggest stars who have ever been stars, some of the brightest stars in the history of American music involved in this production. And... Uh, and uh, Sheila E. was also a part of it. talked about her recently, too. Sheila E., that was, that was special, man. I'm just going back from the beginning. Sheila E. was – Sheila E. changed a lot in many respects because of her fashion sense, uh, her talent, her beauty. It's a much, much different deal. Sheila E. was also a part of the We Are the World thing. Prince wasn't there. Sheila E. was. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. Best way to do that is to hit up Roy on Twitter or X, whatever you choose to call it these days, at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And let him know what your idea is. We've kind of gone off the beaten path here as of late. We'll get back, we'll get back to some of your stuff next week. But uh, uh, you can find our great list on Spotify, Dogmatic67 as well. Just go ahead and subscribe there. Hit that subscribe button, and our list will just auto-populate. I know people are always looking for... A new list. I think this is a really good one. I think this is one of these uh, going to invoke a lot of emotion and memories from people. But uh, thanks as always for your support of the top 10 list. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. Man, I love Campus Bookmart. You will too if you don't already. You may already have a raving love affair with the fine folks at Campus Bookmart. Man, they do such a great job outfitting this wonderful fan base with Mississippi State merchandise. Whether you're looking for clothes, uh, you know, decor for your home, they've got it all. You can visit them in person, very easy to find. Turn off 182 right there at the Trooper Station. We always encourage you to uh, obey the posted speed limit signs, especially when you're rolling through there. And just before you get to campus, there's Campus Bookmark right there on the left. So conveniently located. You can go in there and pick up your new Mississippi State merch and try it on and wear it to one of Mississippi State's historic sporting venues. If you can't make it to town, we encourage you to support a Starkville business whenever you can. You can find them online at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders up to over $75. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. Again, it's campusbookmart.net. All right, let's take a look ahead. State's going to play Alabama, and uh, a lot has happened. Guys, you, you remember a time when Alabama was 6-5, and five and everybody's like, ah, you know, Steve, I don't know. I felt the same way. Felt they were a different team. Guys, they figured some things out. They've won nine of their last ten. They're now 7-1 in the conference and won three games in a row. And since we've seen them, they've played pretty well. Remember, they beat us 82-74 here in Starkville, a game we just couldn't make free throws down the stretch. But uh, since that time, been a pretty good stretch for the Crimson Tide. They take down Missouri 93-75 in Tuscaloosa. They do go on the road to Tennessee, and Tennessee smacks them pretty good 91-71. But since that time, they have 
remained undefeated. They get number eight Auburn 79-75 just before we got Auburn. Uh, they host LSU, get them 109-88. They go to Georgia and win 85-76. And of course, they'll play us. It is a 7.30 tip on Saturday night. Uh, I know we've got some Bulldogs over here that will uh, they'll try to make the trip over there. And then they'll go back the return trip to Auburn uh, next week. But, uh, you know, the schedule kind of sets up pretty well for them. The problem for them is they still have Kentucky and Tennessee uh, left to go. Also, road trip uh, to Oxford, which you know, Ole Miss has been very, very good at home. But uh, this is a team, obviously, that uh, has found its groove. And, again, you win 9 out of 10, and considering that those are uh, SEC games, says a lot about your program. They are 10-1 and one at home and just 500 away from Coleman Coliseum. But uh, you start working through these things, man, this – this is an Alabama team that uh, many people expected to take a little bit of a step back. And now you look at them, Nate Oates doing a great job, for sure. You got a lot of problems at Arkansas. A lot of people expected them to kind of take a step back, too. They have. But uh, a lot of things going on up at Arkansas. It's uh, interesting to note. But uh, <clears throat> looking at the team numbers here, and let's see if we can uh, figure some things out here with this. But uh, – yeah. Again, this again. They they found their stroke, averaging just over 89 points a game, allowing just 75. In that perimeter game, it's just kind of a tenet of the Nate Oates experience. They're shooting 38, 39 percent as a team, knocking down about 11 big threes a game. We're gonna have to get out and defend the perimeter for sure, absolutely for sure. Big huge ball game for Mississippi State. Alabama's been very good on the glass. Uh, plus five for them on the season, almost six. Addition out 15 and a half assists per game, allowing us 11 and a half. Turnovers have been a little bit of a problem at times for them, but um, you know they're they're giving as well as they're taking, averaging just under 15 points per game, points off turnovers, but surrendering about a dozen. So it's pretty much kind of a you know mox next type deal, but. Um, Steals, also kind of the same thing. Uh, they've stolen the ball one more time than their opponents. And then blocks, also very similar, 86 81. So you look at these numbers and you're just like, you know, hey, what is Alabama doing well? Well, the, the thing is, they're not doing anything extremely well other than scoring, but they're not doing anything poorly. And that's the mark of a good team. Mark Sears, of course, still outstanding for them. That was the difference in the ballgame against us, was Mark Sears, especially late. He just kind of put that team on his back and carried them to victory, now averaging 20.1 points per game. Pretty exceptional type stuff there. And knocking down 44% from beyond the arc, 48 of 108. Also an incredible free throw shooter right at 85%. Really kind of made this team his own. I think that's pretty much fair to say here. But uh, they're kind of doing it by committee. You know, Aaron Estrada averaging uh, 12.7 points a game. Grant Nelson, 12.6. And Nelson had a good game against Mississippi State. Really kind of a coming out party for him. A lot of people expected him to be a good player. I, I, I thought that that was really the difference. When we got him in some foul trouble, Nelson really stepped up and played well. Uh, Ryland Griffin, 10.7 points. But uh, there is some depth on this team, certainly. You get a little bit deeper here and you see, I mean, there's a handful of guys here that don't get a ton of minutes, but they, they make – a contribution when they're in the game. Rebounding's a big part of this thing, too. 
Aaron Estrada and Grant Nelson uh, leading the team with 227 boards between them. Nelson also leads the team with 32 blocks. We're going to have to find a way to get Tolu going. And that's been the issue the last couple ball games is we have not been able to get Tolu Smith. I don't know if it's comfortable. I don't know if we're just not finding a way to get him the ball in good positioning, but uh, he did kind of fumble the ball away a little bit against Ole Miss. But uh, we got our work cut out for us. But uh, every time that we kind of say, you know what, this team is in trouble, they find a way to surprise us. Kind of looking ahead of the weekend here, Arkansas is at LSU. And, again, a lot of things going on in Arkansas. And Arkansas fans love their basketball. They're just not, they're not going to be very patient with that. South Carolina's at Georgia. South Carolina sure would a surprise team in the conference this year. Uh, Missouri's at Vanderbilt. Somebody's got to get a win, right? Florida is at A&M. That could be an interesting game there. Auburn, of course, at Ole Miss. That, that may be your game of the weekend, uh, with the exception of the fact that the nightcap is Tennessee and Kentucky. So great weekend of, of college basketball. It always is in the SEC. But we got to figure some things out ourselves. You already you look up now, and you're, you're three and five in the league. You know, it's just we've we've reached a point now where it's not time to panic, but it's certainly time to be concerned. And the schedule again eases up after this week. Really wish we'd have found a way to win that game against Ole Miss. But Alabama now leading the SEC seven and one. Overall record is 15 and 6, with 7 and 1 in the conference. And in Auburn and South Carolina, just a game back at 6 and 2. Uh, Tennessee had the, the break here. They're just 5 and 2. And then Ole Miss there. Ole Miss, Kentucky, Florida, all right there at 5 and 3. Georgia's 4 and 4. And then AM and LSU, 3 and 4. State right there at 3 and 5. Arkansas, 2 and 6. Missouri's 0 and 8. Vanderbilt's 0 and 7. So one of those two teams will pick up an SEC win this weekend. Uh, Missouri has lost eight in a row, Vanderbilt seven in a row, and that's what happens when you get into SEC play. Uh, but you look at this Vanderbilt team at 5-15, and 15, what's the future look like for Jerry Stackhouse? Probably not very good. I don't know if Vanderbilt really cares that much about athletics anyway, but, uh, you know, we'll see kind of how things move ahead here. But uh, one of those deals, man, you just kind of look at it and you begin to realize if we have hopes of turning this thing around and finishing the top half of this league – we got to make a move now. Absolutely have to make a move now. You start thinking about three and six, all of a sudden, man. I mean, guys, we're not going to have a dozen teams make the tournament. And I know some people are still forecasting us to be in there. We have got to get some W's for sure. Looking ahead to next week, State's going to have uh, Georgia on Wednesday. We'll preview that game on a Wednesday show. It's a late tip. It's going to be here in Starkville, 8 p.m. Please make plans to attend. And then we go to Missouri. Next week has to be a 2-0 week for Mississippi State. Simply has to be. Then we get Arkansas coming in here, Arkansas struggling, and then Ole Miss comes in here. And, uh, again, that was a game that was very, very competitive, and uh, hopefully the home court advantage will mean something to us. We certainly need you to be here. LSU, kind of one of our contemporaries right now, a team that we should be able to out-talent, but you got to go on the road, and we have not played well on the road. Kentucky comes in, then we go to Auburn. And then we go to A&M and South Carolina comes here. So you begin to look at this too. And I know there's some comments out there that ruffle some feathers. Here's the deal. If we want to stop getting salty about losing on the road, like people point out that we're 0-5 on the road, win some games on the road. It's as simple as that. 
win some games on the road. I mean, the fact of the matter is we are 0-5 in true road games. Now, we've been absolutely outstanding at home at 8-2. and We've been great on neutral floors. And the NCAA tournament has played on neutral floors for sure. But in order for us to have the resume required to make this tournament, we're going to have to win some road games. And when you begin to break it down and you start looking, hey, in the event that state, let's say you get Missouri, and you should, outside of that, where does a road one come from? I mean, honestly, begin to think to yourself, down the stretch, we just talked about it. You know, we go to Missouri, the remaining road games at LSU, at Auburn, at Texas A&M. You tell me where it is. Where is your sure win outside of Missouri? And I don't know at this point we can take anything for granted. You know, we've taken some good teams to Missouri too, and, you know, some weird things happen up there. It's kind of like the Kentucky thing on the women's side. But running out of opportunities to win road games. And in order for us to be where we want to be, probably need to pick off one or two of those. Because you start thinking about this, man, it's three and five, and, and granted we've, we've had a rough stretch here on the road and got another road game uh, tomorrow. But all of a sudden you look up and uh, you're three and six, and all six of those losses are on the road. And, guys, again, we, you, football, basketball season's almost over. I know everybody gets so excited about March Madness, and, and it is fun, but it's a lot more fun when we're involved. Guys, the final home game for us, final regular season game is March the 9th. So you got four weeks of women's basketball, you got five weeks for the men. Next thing you know, we're in the SEC tournament. We have got to get some things going in our direction. And we've got all these seniors, right? I mean, there's, there's no reason we shouldn't. They know what's at stake. They've got to play with a sense of urgency. That's an important aspect of this. But we've got to get Tolu going. You know, it's, you know, Josh is a guy that's going to get his more times than not. I mean, Kentucky and Alabama gave him a little trouble. Um, but uh, we've got to figure some things out. That's not a hot take. We all see it. But I'm afraid at this point, if we don't start, if we don't have a, a big week next week, we don't pick up those two games there. I think we're going to be sitting here thinking about, you know what, this season didn't go as it should have. And what what worries you about it is look at what all you're losing at the end of the year. Now, granted, we have had a lot of roster turnover in the portal era on men's basketball. I mean, so there's good, there's players to be had there. But you begin to think about at at what expense on the NIL side of things. This is all then kind of shake loose. And there's not an infinite number of resources here. And so that's what you begin to think about. Like if we end up beating an NIT team this year, we're going to turn out and support them because they're the Bulldogs, right? But if you begin to think about last year being ahead of schedule, if we were ahead of schedule last year, and we were, probably overachieved, it's fair to say that this year we may be underachieving. And if we don't make the tournament, I think in many respects you're going to look at this and feel like that we did not realize our full potential. But not in any way ready to uh, to throw in the towel because you never know. You go over there and you get that win against Alabama, changes a lot for you too. We just got to find some consistency. That's the thing that's so significant about the ladies beating LSU and then fighting through their own malaise to get that dub against Kentucky on the road is significant. That's a resume-building opportunity. It's Yes, Kentucky's terrible, but it's an SEC win on the road. And the win probably doesn't help you as much as to lose, the loss would hurt you. But you look at this thing with Mississippi State, 
you beat Tennessee and you beat Auburn, and then what do you do? You follow it up with a loss. And, and listen, nothing against Ole Miss because those guys have played exceptional at home, but that's a game we should have been able to get. We should have been able to get. It was there for the taking. And uh, their offensive system really gave our defensive system some issues. It did. So we're going to go face a very prolific offense in their own gym, a team that's leading the Southeastern Conference right now. So our work is cut out for us. And that noise right there, Roy asked me about that too. Roy's like, it sounds like somebody's playing a drum. No, that's Marley, my lab, walking across the hardwood floors, her and her long nails. So don't, I'm okay, right? But, uh, yeah, it's, we want to be playing meaningful basketball a month from now. And in order for us to kind of set that up, we got to get hot here over the next few ball games. Again, you beat Alabama, things are great. But if you beat Alabama, then turn around and, uh, and lose – you know, to Georgia or Missouri, you kind of negate the, the advancement of that W. So, again, the net is the net, and we're still in a position to be an at-large bid in this tournament. But um, got some games we got to win, for sure. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've seen people post about it. Find out for yourself. Google Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Simple as that. Google is your friend. It's a corporate sellout these days, but it's still your friend. Google Stark Vegas Clubhouse, and that will pull up their Facebook page and many options to book, and you can peruse through their pictures and see the fine amenities that await you. Whether you're bringing a group of family or a work group to town, and, and let, let me tell you something, that, that's a big part of it. It's having some room together, right? Having a chance to everybody have their own room, but to have some communal space where you can congregate and or work while you're there. Some friends of mine recently uh, were there in the midweek and uh, had a great time. And they enjoyed the fact, hey, number one, we can go buy some groceries and we can cook right here, save some expense for everybody going eating out, put some adult beverages on ice, put them in the fridge. You could do that too. Whether you're coming from a ball game weekend or for a work situation, and maybe it's a staycation. Maybe you're like, hey, we just want to every, get the guys and or the girls together and let's just all just kind of have a house to ourselves. We don't want you to make it too much racket. There's still some neighbors out there, right? You don't need to go hire Pearl Jam or anybody like that. If you do, let me know. I'll come. But that's got to be acoustic. But uh, all that said, it's a great place to stay. And, and, again, Google Stark Vegas Clubhouse. And when that comes up, you're going to have the option to book through Airbnb, VRBO, Evolve, other places. If you book through the Evolve website, we can save you some money. That's promo code BSR10. BSR10. Beautiful Steve Robertson, 10. The 10 stands for 10% off. Not the debut album from Pearl Jam. That's Mookie Blaylock. But I digress. BSR 10 gets you 10% off your stay when you book through Evolve to Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Be sure and check it out. You'll be glad you did. The great big back porch, the fire pit outside, all the wonderful amenities that are available. Uh, look no further when you're bringing a large group to Stark Vegas than the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. All right, so a little bit later today, I'm excited to be back at Duty Noble Field. Mike Nemeth does such a great job for us. Guys, Mike, I'm, listen. Mike Nemeth is my friend, and uh, there have been some stretches of my life. The first phone call that I make every morning was to Mike Nemeth. And I don't do it as often because there's not as much going on. But, like, when we're in the middle of a coaching search or there's news out there, Mike is the guy that I always talk to because, you know, Mike was head of media relations at Mississippi State forever. And so I always want to know from, from Mike's point of view, what's the school thinking here, Right. 
or how should we report this? And uh, our website has really grown not just in uh, numbers and views and things of that nature, but I think in many respects we have uh, we have moved away from the fan site label a good bit. And I give Mike a lot of credit for that. There were, there were times when uh, when Gene ran the show, and all due respect to Gene, love Gene, wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Gene. Uh, but Gene was like, hey, we're just what the Clarion Ledger have that. And uh, there would be stories out there that we would have before anybody else would. And because Gene just didn't want to report any bad news, we just didn't do it. And I disagreed with that, and Mike did too. And so when Mike came aboard, that's one of the things that we talked about. Is like, hey, we, do, we need to go write the article and get it out on social media, not just report it on a message board. And so uh, Mike really has uh, changed my perception about things. But uh, Mike, I think at, at his core, Mike was a college baseball player. Maybe you guys will know that. Maybe you didn't, but now you do. And uh, Mike also uh, led the Heisman campaign for George Rogers of South Carolina that they won. Yeah, George won it. And uh, Mike Nemeth was a big part of that. And so it's an impressive guy with an impressive resume. But Mike, uh, Mike covers college baseball for us. And uh, one of the things that uh, – and I do too, as you guys are well aware. I do the road games and the home games. But um, – Mike is a guy, too, that uh, I've always wanted us to have, like, a dedicated baseball reporter. Now, Mike does in-season stuff for us, too, mainly football. But uh, he goes to all the fall scrimmages, goes to all the preseason scrimmages, and I'm going to be out there today. But, but, but Mike's been all of it. There is nobody outside of our coaching staff that has seen more Mississippi State baseball uh, in the past few months than Mike Nemeth. That's a fact. Other people may make that claim, but Mike has covered every single scrimmage. And uh, with the exception of the road trip to Louisiana Tech. But, uh, but I, I say all that because there are a lot of hot takes out there about baseball. And uh, I've talked to some people that I love. I say, hey, what are your thoughts? And they give them, I say, what, what, what do you base that on? Well, I just don't think, well, how many scrimmages did you go to? Well, none. Oh. Really? Yeah. And so I, I share that with you because Mike has credibility with me and Mike has credibility with you. And uh, Mike is somewhat optimistic about the team. Now, he's not sitting here forecasting us to go win an AFL championship or win the SEC, but Mike feels that we have done enough and have enough uh, that we should be in an NCAA regional somewhere. Now, I've read some other reports out there. A lot of people have very meager expectations for Mississippi State, and that is perfectly fine. That is fine. Uh, Anybody can make a list. You hear me say that all the time. But I'm going to be out there today, and in case you're interested in coming out, I don't know what your plans are for this weekend, but the scrimmage today is 3 p.m. 3 p.m. at Duty Noble Field. And then on Saturday, we're going to do it at noon. Now, the weather will play a factor on Sunday. So Sunday's game is to be announced. If you're here, it's okay. But uh, if you were thinking, hey, you know, listen, what's something to do this weekend? Or maybe you're on your way. Maybe you're on your way to Tuscaloosa to watch men's basketball. So maybe come by Saturday and you can go to the scrimmage and you can leave and head over to Tuscaloosa and uh, watch the Bulldogs play at Coleman Coliseum. But again, Friday, 3 p.m., that's today, 3 p.m. Central, uh, no streaming available. We get that question all the time. No, there's no streaming available. But we will have a recap uh, of the ball game, And I'll be there if anything cool happens. And Dana's going to be there to take pictures for us. And then we'll be back there on Saturday and then uh, Sunday as well. So busy weekend but, guys, this is when the scrimmages begin to kind of matter. You know what I'm saying? Because, uh, guys, we're playing baseball here in just a couple weekends. 
Yeah, let that sink in for a second. Like two weekends away. Valentine's Day weekend. We're going to be getting ready to play some baseball. And uh, I'm excited about it. Your guys are excited about it. But I think it's the main thing for us is like we are a proud people, especially when it comes to baseball. We are. We love all of our sports, and we cheer for all of our teams on all courts and fields of play. But baseball is one of those things that's always kind of been there for us. And in the last two years, it's been very frustrating. And uh, I I can tell you as a guy that um, travels uh, to cover the team all over the country, I can tell you it's tough, man, to get in the car. You start making your plans, and we're not playing well, or we're injury-ridden, and you you think, you know what, the last thing I want to do is go do this. And I think to myself, i got a responsibility to do this, right? I mean, I'm not going to be the guy that, oh, only when we're winning, right? I'm only going to go when we're winning or something to play for. But uh, I've been on the road. I guess I've missed one one road series in four or five seasons now. Uh, I just – I don't miss them. And uh, that's part of the job. That's one of the things that I've learned about this is, like, um, I always wanted to have some authenticity. I didn't just want to be the guy that just went to the home games. And a lot of people do that. And um, you know what? God bless them. But uh, I want more for my readers, and I want more for my listeners. And, uh, you know, I write books, you know, and there's nothing like being there. I go back and think about that 2021 season. Uh, We didn't get to go to uh, Dallas. Um, I guess that was Houston. We didn't get get to go anyway. um, We didn't get to go to the opening series because of the the roads are frozen over. We had some friends that spent the night on the road, but uh, we didn't get to go. But fortunately, Greg Campbell, who was baseball SID at the time, set up a Zoom for us, so for all of us that couldn't travel. That's all that we missed. And I kept all those interviews all year long. I kept them, just thinking, just in case we win an AFL championship, we have to write a book, we've got it. And so we've done that. Of course, you can get that dog pile. Every Bulldog fan needs it. Uh, but I share that because we're going to do the same thing this year. we got a new business that's opening up, and uh, we're about 10 days away from that. It's true rest. You guys are aware of that. So I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, do my part, you know, because baseball weekends, I'm going to be on the road sometimes. And so I, I share that with you. I know so many people have wanted to know, hey, Steve, when are you opening? Guys, we were hoping to have this build-out finished uh, December 15th. Had a delay in getting some tile. There's always something, right? And uh, that's a pretty important thing. But the pods are being installed next week. And uh, we're, we're going to be open shortly thereafter. We'll do a soft grand opening, just kind of run some some – some friends and family through to make sure that um, we know exactly what we're doing. And we do, but we got to make sure things function right. And then we're going to be open to the public. And I encourage, if you hadn't done so, you can follow us on Facebook at True Rest Float Spa Starkville. You just go True Rest Starkville, it'll show up. Uh, but you guys have been so supportive. But um, it's going to be more of a challenge for me. But we're still going to do it, you know, as far as baseball goes. And uh, I've had the benefit of last year of having Dan to shoot pictures. And so I'm going to be back kind of being a one-man gang in many respects uh, doing these road games for you. But I'm such a fan of road baseball. I love going, and I kind of like being the only one there most of the time. But I encourage you to come out and support the Diamond Dogs. I can tell you on behalf of the Bulldog baseball family and the parents what it means to see the fans on the road because a lot of times we go some places and it's just our little sliver of, of baseball parents and a handful of people uh, cheering for our team but it's so important for you to be there and I, I am again cautiously optimistic about this team and then after the fall I was a little more maybe above cautiously and just kind of optimistic about the team 
And that's probably a better, a fair assessment of kind of where we are right now. I, I think we're going to be a good team. Are we going to be an elite team? I don't feel that way. I think we're going to be an elite offense. And uh, I think there's, you know, we, we look so good defensively in the fall, but we, we had a rough weekend, the opening weekend of the spring. Uh, so I want to see that cleaned up. But you got to remember, too, I mean, you got guys out there competing for jobs and it's not the, the regular nine. You split some people up and things like that. I'm not going to sit here and explain it away. I mean, baseball is baseball. The ball's hit to you. You're supposed to field it and make a clean throw across the field and get an out, right? But I think this pitching staff under Justin Parker's tutelage is going to be much better. Not just better, but much better. And I think bringing in Carson Ligon and Cal Steven, I think is going to be a difference. And, and like the thing you think about, like, a lot of people said that Cade Smith wasn't a Friday night guy. Say, Steve, he's probably a Saturday or a Sunday guy. Okay, well, what if you brought in two more Cade Smiths? Because Cade Smith was a dog. But if I told you that we were able to – hey, that Cade Smith came back and we got his twin, you'd say, well, all right, I feel a little more optimistic. That's kind of what you've done, right? It's kind of what you've done. And I've had some players tell me that uh, they hate hitting against Carson Ligon. Won't tell me why. Bryce Chance even mentioned it too. They don't, they don't like it. And uh, Carson, we were very careful with him in the fall. Uh, things will get ramped up. If, if I had to pick it today, I may feel differently in two weeks, but if I had to pick it today, I think Gerangelo is your Friday night guy, and then Steven and Ligon are probably your Saturday-Sunday guy. Not exactly sure which order they'll go, but I think if I had to call it today, I think that's where we are. Now, of course, you've got Nate. Nate is our dog, man. Nate Dome last year, down the stretch, there was nobody you wanted on the mound more than Nate. I felt the same way. When Nate came into the ball game, no matter where we were, I thought, okay, well, good chance we're going to win this thing. You know, good chance that we're going to hold the game in place. And with rare exception, that's exactly what Nate did. I remember being in Kentucky. When, when we brought him in, I said, we're going to win this thing. And, uh, and then we don't execute a slider and it gets away from Ross. And if you remember around that time, Ross still having some defensive issues, you know, uh, kind of acclimating to SEC ball. And Ross is a dog, too. You know, Ross is going to be an early draft pick for us when he is done here at Mississippi State. But when Nate comes in the game, it doesn't feel like the Landon Sims thing, right? I mean, let, let's just – and we, we, we never feel that way again. You know, uh, I know that's how we felt when Jonathan Holder came in the game. You know, you'd hear Johnny Cash and think, oh, game's over. Same way it felt with Landon. I don't get that same feeling with Nate, and Nate doesn't have that same kind of stuff. But Nate has the same level of competitiveness, and if it was me, if it was me filling out a lineup card, I'd want Nate to be able to throw maybe two times on a weekend. You know, maybe he's the first guy the bullpen on Friday, maybe gives him an in on Saturday. I, I don't know. But I know when you have a guy like him, when you have the versatility that he possesses, he's a guy that could be a starter, could be a long reliever, could be a short reliever, that gives you options with other dudes. Because I know that I've got this. I know that I have this wild card with Nate. They'll do whatever I need to do. And so I think that takes some pressure off some other guys, but it also takes a lot of pressure off Justin Parker. He's like, you know what? I know I've got this guy right here. He, he is a team guy. He will do whatever we need him to do. Uh, and Nate's a guy that's going to make some money playing baseball. But uh, it's so interesting to hear uh, Nate talk about his interactions with Justin Parker. It's so interesting to hear. You know, like Nate has been throwing the baseball extremely hard. And Justin Parker told him, he goes, it's amazing to me you throw the ball as hard as you do with the mechanics you have. And what do you know? They start working on some things and working on some movement, making everybody a little bit smoother in their deliveries. 
And not only is that helping us have an uptick in velo, giving us a little bit better spin rate, having a more natural movement, because throwing a baseball is very unnatural, but having a more athletic delivery up and down this team is going to make a difference. It should. It should help us stay healthier. And I can tell you from our, uh, our friend John Whittle that covers South Carolina, he was a huge and still is a huge Justin Parker fan. They were hoping to keep him, as you guys know. And John just told me, man, Justin is awesome. And uh, a lot of people say those kinds of things. I trust John. John's another guy with our network that travels around with the team and uh, makes some things happen for sure. And so I have a lot of respect for John. And so when John told me that Justin Parker was kind of been the, the secret to South Carolina's uh, recent rise and their ascension, the Parker was a big part of it. And uh, I didn't fully appreciate that until Justin got here and we got through the fall. And hearing some of the, you know, the other players talk about it, he doesn't just correct the pitchers. You know, he's on the catchers too. He's on the hitters and helping them kind of prepare. Like, you know, the mental aspect of it. Justin Parker is going to be a head coach at some point. Who knows, it could be here at some point. But Justin Parker – Based on everything that I've heard from people that have worked with him or have covered him, they feel like, hey, this this guy is a real alpha, right? This is a guy that demands excellence from himself and from everybody around him. And I think that is what this team needed. There were so many other candidates for this pitching coach job. I mean, I remember from the very beginning, you know, and it's never the first name, right? It's never, ever, ever the first name. But I remember talking to some people, and they're like, hey, Justin's not going to leave this year. You know, of course, Justin and, and Lamontis uh, have some connections. And that's the first place you look, right, is well, who have they coached with in the past? Who have they coached with? Who are they share a coaching tree with, right? And they could say, Justin's not going to make a move. And there was all this talk about change in South Carolina and um, that the group down there moving, moving to Miami. That didn't work out. But I think that's what kind of opened the door. And Justin Parker and his wife came in, and uh, what's so interesting when I interviewed Justin, that's one of the things he, <laughs> he's so funny. Uh, he said, you know, he talked to his wife, he's like, you know, they came in, they had the big cookout, and all the families got together. And basically, as soon as his wife got back on the plane, she said, uh, so we're doing this, right? Yeah, I mean, it's Mississippi State's a special place. And uh, I think most people around college baseball certainly understand that. They understand your commitment i tell you what's interesting, too. I wrote the piece yesterday about the 71 College World Series team, our first. When we played Vanderbilt in the first game of the SEC Championship Series, about 8,000 of you showed up. That's in 71. We had wooden bleachers. It was mainly standing room only. We had 8,000 people at the game. 8,000 people in 1971. I guess it's over 50 years ago. Look how far our program has come. It took us too long to win it. But baseball has always been a big deal here. And going out and getting a guy like Justin Parker, I think is really because of the mystique and the tradition of Mississippi State. Why would he leave South Carolina? They got it rolling up there. And and listen, I know that it was kind of a humbling experience for a lot of South Carolina people that, you know, their pitching coach would leave for what they deemed to be a lateral move. It's not. I mean, it wasn't financially. And South Carolina's won a couple of national championships. We've won one, right? Ray Tanner, great baseball mind. It was fun to watch those teams. But we have taken the steps in the offseason to be better. 
do we do enough in the portal? That remains to be seen. I would love to have had one more, one more pitcher and maybe one more hitter. But I feel like our lineup is solid. One more starting arm in the mix there would have made things awfully interesting, right? And if you got Holman, feel completely different about the trajectory of the team. But he's not, he's not Skeens, and everybody needs to understand that. That's what everybody thinks, but it's not. That's not fair to the kid. Paul Skeens is an alien. There's no doubt about that. And not to mention the guy that was coaching Paul Skeens is not a head coach of Georgia. So things have changed. I expect all should be good. Should that many times. But I think we have done enough to get back into the postseason, to be a winning team, and to kind of elevate. And you've got a very, very talented young group of players that are coming up the ranks too that we feel exceptionally good about. But the key to this team is going to be pitching. And you got one of the best pitching coaches in the country now wearing maroon and white. You just wonder now if he's had enough time. You know, has he had enough time to implement his system? You know, he's only been here a few months, right? And so that's the aspect of it. But uh, I, I think initially because of the cold weather, you know, pitching is going to be a little bit ahead of the offense around college baseball. It's just typically how it works. It takes a little while for guys to kind of get their timing down. And not to mention there were so many guys that, that tweak in the offseason, right? They, they tweak their delivery a little bit. And so the film from last year – doesn't necessarily match up with this year. Things are different. And you got to feel like the Mississippi State pitchers are going to look tremendously different than they did a year ago just because of the fact that um, you've got a new pitching coach. Uh, I had a chance to stick my head in the door last weekend during the women's baseball clinic. Uh, the lovely bride, Dana, wrote a recap of the event yesterday. And, uh, guys, I tell you, if you have never maybe pick that up and encourage your wife to go be a part of those women's clinics. You need to do that. Those women had a blast, an absolute blast. And uh, one of the things when um, I was I was there just for a few minutes and uh, wanted to see my wife hit, she'd already hit, but um, and she did hit. But uh, nevertheless, um, we talked a lot about extension, like Bobby was talking about analytics and how we do, you know, <clears throat> We use our TrackMan software and things like that. We use all our video stuff to kind of see what we're doing, how we're doing it. We talk a lot about extension. And one of the things that I've heard is like Colby Holcomb. Colby is a big strapping young man, but he didn't always get full extension pitching. Didn't really use the slope and get downhill. And he's embraced that with Justin Parker. He's embraced it. So now it's time to go see it on the field. And uh, that's the thing you begin to look at in the fall we had some guys last year at times that kind of fought their delivery. Uh, KC is a guy that I would say KC at times kind of fought his delivery. Like, you know, it's like sometimes he would even kind of short arm it a little bit like if it didn't feel exactly right. The thing that I've seen and I'm eager to see today, when I saw in the fall, we look a lot more fluid in what we do on the mound. That's not to say that everybody's always throwing strikes, even though we, we, we should mark improvement in the fall. Uh, but, you know, you, you're going through these spring practices now and kind of figuring out who you can trust. Who's going to throw weekends? Who's going to throw midweek? And you're going to challenge guys. You know, in the fall, you experiment with pitches. Not so much in the spring. When you get into the spring, you, we're fine-tuning, getting ready to go play. But uh, I'm eager to get back out there today. We'll have, uh, again, full full coverage of all the scrimmage stuff this weekend uh, over jeanspage.com. Most of that is VIP, so you need to be a member. Come be a part of that. Uh, again, nobody's going to cover Bulldog baseball like us. If you hadn't done so, go to winningbottomfalls.com. You get the new book, which is doing exceptionally well. Your messages mean more to me than you can possibly know. 
Uh, I was very vulnerable with that book. I was wide open, basically naked before the world, and just wanted to share some experience, strength, and hope in hopes of helping other people. And people ask me all the time, you know, Steve, why are you so transparent about this? Why do you talk about this? It's so that others may live. And it was so amazing to me when I first got into recovery, I found out this person's in recovery. And this person, I never knew, you know. Uh, it might have helped me if I had known, right? But the reality of it is now I'm here, and I've got a message to share, and we do it. And uh, uh, I encourage you to buy when the bottom falls, even if you buy, buy it for yourself and pass it on to somebody else. And uh, all my sports titles are there, too, Alpha Dogs. Uh, Stark Villains, Flam Flam, and Dogpile, all available for you to purchase through the same URL as When the Bottom Falls. And again, the dude will be here before you know it. And uh, I've got to finish up some work this afternoon, and then we'll be uh, kind of full bore on the writing process next week. I've already written a little bit, but we'll get going uh, big time. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com, get T-shirts, hoodies, basically anything you need in a variety of styles and colors. Stark Villain, StarkVillains.com. Love to see you guys uh, repping the brand when you're out there. Appreciate that more than you could possibly know. And if you're not a member of Gene's page, come be a part of that. Uh, you know, Gene's page is an institution. It was a long time before I joined. And uh, I, I think about this stuff all the time. It's like I began writing about Mississippi State in 1997. I joined Gene's page in 2001. And uh, so it's over 23 years now. 23 years I've been uh, writing under that handle. And uh, a lot has changed since then. Uh, but the one thing that I think has changed uh, for the betterment is the fact that so many of you uh, not only come to us for your news, but I, I think we do as a fan base a much better job supporting the team home and away, for sure. It's it's incredible to see how the fan base has kind of matured in the time that I've been writing for Gene's page in the last you know 23 years. It's really amazing to see. I remember going to games and we'd have just you know basically the parents that would be there, but then that'd be football and baseball or the local residents we got people now that kind of plan their fall around hey i want to go to every sec stadium so this year we're going to this stadium i've never been to before that has changed and i think in mississippi state we've always had these people that think that we don't support our teams uh this generation of fans i think is supporting the bulldogs like no other i mean we absolutely will get out and go and thank you for that all right, that's it for today, but until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.